Father, this morning we just come to you. And Father, give us hearing ears. For we saw that over and over again in your word, that's where it begins. Ears that listen. You said the man who built his house on the rock is because he heard and he obeyed. He heard and he obeyed. And when the rains came and the winds blew and the floods roared, his house stood. His life stood. And I pray, Father, you give us ears to hear and the strength and the will to obey. The rains will come. The storms will blow. But Father, now and in eternity, we will stand. As your word says, after everything is over, be found standing. Speak to us, Lord, for in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. I wish you were there yesterday because I'm not going to touch anything that we looked at yesterday, which really I do after a pastor's conference, but not today. But yesterday we were looking at being focused. And I want you to listen, especially if you're a Telugu-speaking brother, sister, you will enjoy it because you'll get it in two languages. But focus is God the center of your life? Because if God is not the center of our life, we will not be able to see as God wants us to see. And much of our problem is because we are not able to see. Therefore, we are not able to judge our situations, our circumstances correctly because spiritual vision is connected with God being at the center of our lives. When God is is at the center of our lives, our perception is different. We are able to see the unseen and therefore we judge the seen in the light of the unseen. Scripture says, keep your eyes fixed on Christ Jesus. Keep your eyes fixed on the unseen and not the seen because the seen things are temporary while the unseen things are the eternal. We need to have an eternal perspective all the time. But today, I want to turn first to a couple of verses and then get into the message. Second Peter chapter 2, uh, 3 and verse 18. But grow. Everybody say, I'm not doing like this new pop culture pastors, but everybody say, grow. You need to grow. You need to grow. In grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We need to grow in what? Grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Because they come together. If you don't grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, we will not grow in grace. Because we will not see the requirement for grace. Unless you see the demand that knowledge brings upon us. In Ephesians 4 and verse 15. But speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in all things unto him. Okay, like I said yesterday, if you were there, at every verse you will see, if you read it carefully, the core is Jesus. We are just not growing up in all things, but we are growing up all things into him, who is the head, Christ Jesus. So grow. When you look at one truth, we are looking at truth as a whole and truth has aspects of truth. One truth of salvation, one truth of salvation is salvation demands growth. Demands growth, spiritual growth, it demands. In Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 15, consider the long suffering of our Lord. Okay, you have to see everything in the light of what God is doing. 
in our lives. God is forbearance, another term. Patience, another term. Long-suffering, another term, depending upon the translation used. Why is God so patient with us? Because it is God to do with salvation. Got to do with salvation. With an unbeliever, God is incredibly patient because he wants him saved. With a believer, God is incredibly patient because he wants us to grow in our salvation. God is zealous of us and our growth. Unless you see everything with God in the center, we will not understand why certain breakthroughs take so long. Lord, I've been waiting for money for so long. God said, I too have been waiting to give you for so long. Then why don't you give me? Because you have been grown to be able to handle money. One of the concepts when I teach pastors is this. Authority and ability are two different things. Two different things. I have authority over the church. That doesn't mean I have the ability in all things. I can exercise my authority and say, next Sunday I'm leading worship. Nobody is going to stop me. But the problem is, there are others who have much greater ability to do that. Okay? So understand that God has the authority to do anything in my life. But he is waiting for you and me to be able to handle what he can give us. That's where growth comes in. We have to grow to be able to handle certain things. Because scripture says in the new covenant, in the millennial reign, when eternity begins, the overcomers will be judging. Not only people, even angels. Maybe We don't know. There are a lot of things hidden from us. God has billions of galaxies. A lot of things are hidden from us. God needs kings and queens to reign over them. And to reign, what you need is ability to judge. And to ability to judge is this growth, maturity. And God will give people only according to their maturity. That's the principle in the in the in the book of uh, in the in the old covenant when Moses the burden was too much for him. Moses they said, okay, um, select people who will judge tens, fifties, hundreds, thousands. You see, judgment was given in terms of ability. Sometimes God doesn't give you judgment according to ability. He's first just checking you out. Maybe you have nobody under you, only a maidservant. And God is saying, I'm watching you, how you deal with her to decide your eternal position. Just one person under you. And I'm seeing how you handle that position. People will not even understand. They stand before God on judgment day and God says, you take charge of nothing. Lord, why? He got ten cities. Why me nothing? He said, I gave you one person under you and I saw how oppressive you were. Joseph had ten elder brothers. None of them could ever attain a position of responsibility because they oppressed the eleventh one. But the eleventh one ruled over all of them because he walked in mercy and in truth and in judgment. Understand how the kingdom of God works. That's what I'm saying. Look at the eternal perspective because if you don't look at the eternal perspective, you will mess up this temporary. 
mess up the temporary. Keep your eyes fixed on things that are unseen. So God is working everything in terms of salvation and he's incredibly patient because he's also a father and he wants all his children to do well. But that doesn't mean all his children will do well. So everything, even history, even today's news, we can be absolutely wrong the way we read history and news because in all this man is at the center and not God. But if God is at the center, you look at news, you see news. You look at history, you see history different, everything differently. And last 2000 years has been the time of God's salvation, time of God's patience, his long suffering. Jesus came, he opened the way for salvation and he's still patient and the way is still open. This is the time of salvation. This for those who are saved is the time of growth. Because when he comes a second time, the way will be closed. It will be shut. In Second Corinthians chapter 6 verse 2, he says, In an acceptable time I have heard you in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Not then. All those who are waiting for eternity to grow in your salvation, it's not going to happen. It is now. All those who are waiting to prosper financially, don't worry. Then you will be unbelievably rich. You'll walk on streets that are of gold. If you keep your eyes on the unseen. Those who are struggling to get degrees and unable to get degrees, don't worry. Then you will know him even as you are known. And there is no greater knowledge than knowing God. Which no university can give you that degree. Get perspective right. Balance. Don't focus on the scene. Because if you focus on the scene, your entire perspective will get messed up. Today is the day of salvation. That's why this stands or should stand in the center of our life. The reason, everything else is subjective. Everything else is subjective of God can become subjective. But the word of God is right there before us in black and white. We are a blessed generation. Generations before us, believers in their millions, billions, could not have a copy of the Bible. We have multiple copies. This should be the center of a believer's life. That's why the pulpit is at the center of a church life. It's lifted up and elevated, not because of the person, but because of what is preached. What is preached. God has chosen the foolishness of preaching. Corinthians 1.21, scripture says, In the wisdom of God, the wisdom world through wisdom did not know God. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. God says, even if you are the most brightest mind on planet earth or the simplest fellow sitting on the street, to both of you I have given you one way to get saved. You have to hear the message being preached. Anywhere, the gospel. It's by hearing. No other way. For faith comes from 
Hearing. Faith comes from hearing. Not from reading. Then what will happen to all the people who are blind? Who don't have access to the Bible. Most believers in the past 2000 years history, they did not have access to the Bible. But they could hear. They do not have copies of the Bible, but they heard the word being preached. So if scripture says faith comes from reading, oh, then we all go to school and college. Why? Faith comes from? No, faith comes from hearing. You can have a Bible and never read it. You may not have a personal copy of the Bible like millions in China and North Korea, yet you have heard portions of the scripture and you believe in it with all your heart and willing to die for a portion of the scripture in which you have believed. Comes from hearing. Hearing. So there is growth. As you hear and as you obey, you grow. In Ephesians 4.13, scripture says, Till we all come to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Grow. Fullness. Who's a perfect man? Who's full grown? Spiritually. To the maturity of Christ that God demands from us in our different ways. And this knowledge, this knowledge of Christ, the knowledge of the Son of God, that's why he is called the Word. Jesus is called the Word. The knowledge of God we know through the knowledge of his Son is crucial. In Psalm 93 verses 1 and 2 and verse 5, the Lord reigns. He's clothed with majesty. The Lord is clothed. He has girded himself with strength. Surely the world is established so it cannot be moved. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. This psalmist, all these people, when they're moved by the spirit, when they wrote about certain attributes about God, it is personal knowledge of God. This is who you are. Your testimonies are very sure. Absolutely. Your testimonies, O Lord, written in this book are absolutely sure. Therefore, the psalmist David will say, I meditate upon your precepts, upon your word, upon your law, day and night. Because that is absolutely, absolutely sure. So children, older people sitting over here, let Christ and his word be the center of your life. When Hebrews 13, 8, the writer says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. How do you know? Because God doesn't change. The God of Adam is the God in Revelation 21 and 22 who judges. It's the same God. There's no difference. If in the garden, when they fell, God says, out, you stay out. In Revelation 22, the final chapter, he will say of the city of Jerusalem, outside are a set of people. Same God. He has never changed. He does not change. He cannot change. That's where our confidence comes from. We have one person in our life experience who does not change and is perfect, he's pure, he's holy, and God says, change to that. That's your standard. So that you could understand me better, I sent my son in the flesh. And he walked among you. Look at him, look at my word, keep changing. My spirit will help you. Like all the laws that govern creation are settled. They do not change. In the same way, this is settled law. Settled law. Understand, because if you don't balance, go through scripture and understand as God shows us, his spirit teaches us, we will 
we will be always wavering in our faith. Like yesterday I was telling the pastors, God is love. It will never change, God is love. But God is truth. So this God who is love has set boundaries around him in his relationship with us and the boundaries are set by truth and he performs or he becomes love within those boundaries. The world will say God is love, love is God and has no boundaries. That's the problem. And we prefer that Hollywood love portrayed through a thousand media. But that love is not true because God is love, but God has put boundaries around that which is called truth. That's what Paul was telling. Speak the love, speak truth in love. It has to be balanced. None of the Galatians, he will say, the only thing that matters is faith that works through love. Faith comes from hearing, hearing from the word of God. So your faith has to be true. It has to be based on truth. Truth and love balance it. Because so many of the demands people make from each other in families, in churches, in offices, is a demand based on love. If you love me, you will do this. If you love me, you will not do this. But often there is no truth there. Then when we use the name of God, we are trying to drag him outside the boundaries which he has set for himself. And the boundaries, how do we know? Through this. Is there more to God than this? Yes. That we will know when we go there. But right now for this life, all we need to know about God is kept within the pages of this book. The secret things belong to God. If he reveals, he reveals. If he doesn't, he doesn't. We will never know him fully in this mortal body. It is impossible. But what we need in this life, every situation, it is here. So put your life on this. You can bank on this. In other words, his word is his bond. And his word is his constitution. You see, when you go to an earthly court, a good court, the just judge, because courts are all manipulated now. The judge doesn't hear the case based on feelings. He hears the case based on law. That's why we have lawyers. Right, Deepika? That's why we have lawyers. Otherwise, we don't need lawyers. We just have to appeal to his emotions. You are standing in court, Lord, please, I feel so good about this. You also feel good. Nobody appeals on emotions. It is appealed on basis of law. God too has what is called his word, which is his law. He is not arbitrary. Not at all. And he has set a day, which is called the day of judgment. In Hebrews 9 and verse 27, scripture says, it is appointed for men to die. And those who don't like judgment don't want to die. Those who are waiting for judgment, exam results, Paul will say, for me to live or die is gain. How many of you think about death has gain? Death has gain. Why? After that comes what? Exam results. Those who prepare for the exams are excited by the exams. Others will go with placards, postpone exams in the bar. Two days postpone, they are very happy. There is an exam and there is judgment. 
In John chapter 12 and verse 48, scripture says, He who rejects me does not and does not receive my words, has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. Oh, it's interesting. Okay, so I am appointed to die one day. I will die one day. If he, if he doesn't come before I die, I will die one day. And after that, I am going to be judged. And God says, you know what? It's sure for everybody sitting here. You will die. You will be judged. And then he says, I've given you a book. They will be judged by this book. Therefore, study this with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength. Because this is the book by which you will be judged. Do you understand? Why this is the center? I will not judge you. My words, that's which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him on that day. Imagine now at a school, college, you don't know higher levels when we were in the university at much higher levels, PhD level and MPhil level. We have what is called open book exam. And you will laugh and say it is very easy. You're given seven days to write your preliminary thesis for your PhD and you can go to the library, open every book. Seven days is not enough with all the books. Because a question is like that. They give you three questions and says you can answer one. And you do seven days is not enough to write your answer with all the books open before you. Because you cannot crack that question. Unless you know the mind of your supervisor. This is an open book exam. God says take your book, open it, judge yourself. Align your life to that. See how simple he has made it. Lovely God. How simple he has made it. But he didn't, he didn't leave it that way. In John chapter 14, verse 16 and 17, he says, I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper. Parakletos is the Greek word translated as helper, as counselor, advocate. Different words, advocate. Ah, that's a legal term, right? I will give you a counselor. In US, they will call the lawyer your counselor. Your counselor. Why? When you have doubts, you seek the lawyer's counsel. The president of U.S. has a whole set of counselors because every decision he takes has to be right under the law. So these are the ones who gives input, change this, change this, this doesn't tally with section this, this doesn't tally. So finally when it is out, it is legal. Counselor. He has given somebody who says, I will pray, the father will give you another helper that he might abide with you forever. Oh, ever. That means even when I die and I'm on the other side, he's still with me. And then, the spirit of truth. Who is he? The spirit of truth. The world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. In John 16, 7 and 8, he again introduces him. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you, the advocate, the counselor. When he has come. But the first work he does, he convicts. Mr. President, this word of yours is out of line. Out of line. Please correct it. What does he convict? The counselor is not going to look at the entire president's statement and says, you are right, you are right, you are right, you are right. He says, no, his job is to say, you are wrong, you are wrong, you are wrong, correct it. We want the Holy Spirit to come and comfort us and say, you are right, you are right, you are right. Holy Spirit comes and says, you are wrong, you are wrong, you are wrong. And we get mad with the Holy Spirit. 
Because we were brought up, as all our babies are brought up, even if they drink their milk, they're supposed to drink their milk. So we grew up with this mentality that even when we do right, and that's the right thing to do, we want to be appreciated. And the society has changed so much, it is news. Auto driver found bag of money and gave it to the police station. That is what he's supposed to do. Not take it home. But it is an abnormal in our society to find somebody who is honest, who is truthful, who has integrity. When that happens, we have to beam it. Because we are accepting our own lies on which the society is built. Why a spark somewhere, a truth stands up and we rejoice. That's what the scripture is talking about. When he comes, he will convict the world of sin, of righteousness and of judgment. Three things. He will say, this is where you are wrong. This is how you become right. There is mercy, righteousness. You are ready for judgment. Today, if the Lord were to come, you are ready. It's God who decides when to slip your life. But if you die today, if you are walking with the Holy Spirit, he has brought to you to the maturity which God expects from you, not the world. You go today, you should be ready for judgment. That's what scripture is talking about there. His work for the believer is defined in verse 13. Scripture says, however, when the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on its own. But he will speak, whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. You know, one of the most wonderful things about the Trinity, if you listen to Jesus speaking, he says, I don't speak on my own. I speak what I hear. And the Holy Spirit says, I won't speak on my own. I speak what I See, they both have very good listening skills. Very good listening skills, the Son and the Spirit. They listen to the Father and they... Listen very carefully. That's the first skill we need to have. What is that? Learn to listen. And scripture says that's what he will do. He will guide you. He will teach you. He will lead you to all truth. In John 8, verse 31 and 32, Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, If you abide in my word, my, that is his truth, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you. What is that freedom? Freedom to face judgment day. That's the freedom. We are talking about other freedoms. No. He says, if you abide in my truth, every day you are ready for judgment day. You are not afraid of it. You are not afraid because this, this is not talking about believers who, who are sent to hell. Believers are not sent to hell. It is about the commendations we will receive from God. So remember, the key is the word, the word of God. And one of the primary functions of the Holy Spirit, as he's called counselor, is to prepare us for judgment. He will teach us from the word. He will also empower us to live the word. And he will also help us to make judgments according to the word. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 13 to 15, the Spirit comes again. These things we also speak, not in words which is man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual with spiritual. That's what the Holy Spirit teaches, which man cannot teach. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. So listen carefully, otherwise you are a natural man. 
Today I want you to be supernatural, not unnatural, supernatural. It's natural, unnatural and supernatural. Natural men cannot receive the things of God. Things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. They are spiritually discerned. And next verse is important. But he who is spiritual judges all things. Why does he judge all things? Because he is preparing for judgment day. He is not just reading question papers. He is reading the text. A lot of people prepare for exams by reading question papers. Smart ones read the text. Read the text. Understand. The Holy Spirit comes in everywhere to teach us. Because you need to have the balance. The Holy Spirit and the Word. The Word and the Spirit. The Word, the book, and the teacher. Balance. Otherwise, you'll go off tangent. And the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in their dealings with man has bound themselves by this Word. And it is through the Word we come to understand how God works, the mind of God, what are God's ways. Remember, we know it very well, Exodus 33, 13, Moses' prayer. Therefore, I pray if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way. Teach me your way. It's man's prayer. Incredibly educated young man, but he says, teach me your way. David in Psalm 86 and verse 11 will pray the same prayer. Teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. How can I walk in truth unless you teach me? You teach me, I will walk. Look at this great man in the Bible. And we don't see this connection. God has to teach us if we have to walk in his truth. We cannot randomly learn truth which is connected with God. We will not learn unless he teaches. In Exodus 33, 14, God gives him the promise. My presence will go with you. I will give you rest. Why will you have rest? Because his presence is going with you. His presence is teaching you his way. You are keeping the truth. And because you keep the truth, you are not looking at your seen circumstances. You always have rest because you see the unseen. And you know you are safe. You have rest. It's God who teaches. Yesterday we looked and Wednesday also in First Samuel chapter 9, 3, 19 to 4, 1, we saw about little Samuel. Samuel grew. You have to grow. Now I said you don't look at here and look at Samuel's physical growth. Everybody grows physically. That's not the question. We have to grow spiritually. Samuel grew. And the Lord was with him. Yesterday I told you, the pastors who were there, if the Lord is with you, it is inevitable you grow. And if you don't grow, it's also a sign the Lord is not with you. There's no human being, if God is with him, who does not grow. You have to grow spiritually. Because his presence is with you. And he's revealing his mind and his ways. My job here is not to make you grow. My job from here is to make you interested in God. And if you're not interested, then God can't do anything. Scripture says he went to Nazareth and he couldn't do anything in the hometown he was because they were too familiar. He couldn't do anything. Jesus couldn't do anything in Nazareth. Became too familiar. He couldn't do anything in his family. 
His brothers never accepted him until he died and rose again. His mother never sat for any of his meetings if you read the Bible. The first time you will see him sitting here in a prayer meeting is after he's dead and resurrected. You will sitting in the upper room with the disciples. Because they became too familiar with the living word. They cut the word out of their lives. Every time you see her, she's outside. She's never inside because you can get so familiar with the word, the word stops speaking to you. It still takes care of you. Even on the cross, you said, mom, that's your son. Son, take care of your mom. The word takes care of you, but the word stops speaking to you. Don't make that mistake in life, Christians. Don't ever make that mistake in your life because the Lord was with him. And the Lord let none of his words fall to the ground. You see how it is going. And then all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew Samuel had been established as the prophet of the Lord. They knew this man was speaking from God. And then the Lord appeared again in Shiloh. For the Lord revealed himself to Samuel by the word of the Lord. He revealed to Samuel by the word of the Lord. And scripture says in one, the word of the Lord came from Samuel to all Israel. God is revealing himself to Samuel through the word and Samuel is revealing God to Israel. That's what he says to all of us. I will reveal myself to you through my word and my spirit. Wherever you work, wherever you study, you will reveal me to the world. You shall be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes. God didn't print a book and send it to the ends of the world. He sent people to the ends of the world who would take his word. Take his word. God has no other method. All he needed was 11 people. And he said, I will turn the world upside down. Only thing. You got the word now, open my mind, wait for the spirit, let the spirit fill you. You have the word, you have the understanding, you have the spirit. You will turn this world upside down. You shall be my witnesses. That is God's way. Luke chapter 2 verse 52, what is written about Jesus? Jesus increased in wisdom and stature. Don't look at it just physically. When we are reading, we are not talking about his physical growth, how much he measured. It's irrelevant. But he was growing. Because God was with him. And he was growing. He was growing. He was growing. Like I said, spiritual growth is inevitable if God is with you. In Psalm 103, verse 7, very, very familiar verse for GTC. He made known his ways to Moses. His acts to the children of Israel never grew. As they came out of Egypt, so were they till the day they died because they never grew. While he came out of Egypt and kept on growing and growing and growing. And God said, this man, this man alone, every other, I speak in dreams, visions, prophets. This man, I speak to him face to face because he's grown. I can talk to him as an adult. I can talk to him because he's mature. I can talk to him face to face because he grew. David grew. If you read his Psalms, probably unlettered shepherd boy grew in the knowledge of God. In Hosea 4, 6 scripture says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. What knowledge is this? Not science, physics, chemistry, maths, news, media. No, the knowledge of God. My people perish because they don't know who I am. 
They don't know how I perform. They don't know my ways. And he says, you are a kingdom of priests in the new covenant. But because you have rejected knowledge, I will also reject you from free me free. Because scripture says, another portion says, out of the mouth of the priest shall come knowledge. Not ceremony or mass. Knowledge of who God is. But he says, because you rejected knowledge, I will reject you as my priest. You will conduct ceremonies, but you will never be in the spiritual realm a priest of mine. Because to become a priest of mine, you need to have a knowledge of who God is. So scripture says, the word of the Lord came to Samuel at Shiloh through the word. God revealed to Samuel through the word. And the word of Samuel came to all of Israel. Samuel was not a priest, but he became a priest. There were all the other priests in in Israel. But God picked a man who knew him and said, out of your mouth, people will know me. And all of Israel from Dan to Beersheba accepted Samuel as God's man. Understand, that's how you become God's man, God's woman, wherever God has placed you. Because it is not the knowledge of the Bible. It is the knowledge of the God of the Bible. Knowledge of the Bible, no. Knowledge of the God of the Bible. One of the constant refrains of Jesus in his time. In Matthew 22, 29. One I will give you. Jesus answered and said to them, you are mistaken. You err. You are mistaken. Why? Because you do not. Not knowing thee. You think these guys did not know the scriptures? They knew it by heart from Genesis 1 down all the way to Malachi. The entire Torah they have been memorizing from childhood. They were walking encyclopedias of the Torah. But he said, you don't know the scriptures. Because to know the scriptures, you need to know the God of the scriptures. Therefore you err. You have a cerebral understanding of the word of God, but you do not know the God of that word. Therefore you err. We are not talking about Bible study here. Talking about knowing God and his ways, his God. There's a lot of difference between knowing scripture and knowing the God of scripture. In Isaiah 8 and verse 20, scripture says to the law and the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. There's no light. They have the law, they have the testimony, but you know, they don't understand. Therefore they err. There is no light in them. In Jeremiah 8, Verse 7 and 9, 7 to 9, even the stock in heaven knows her appointed times, the turtle dove, the swift, the swallow, observe the time of their coming, but my people do not know the judgment of the Lord. They don't know. I look at the birds. They are seasonal. When season comes, it doesn't matter, they are in Siberia, they come to Nehruzu. You don't have to tell them. They know. They know, if I stay in Siberia, I will die. If I go to Hyderabad, I will live. And if I die, it's because of the water. But God's people are just dying because they don't know judgment. They don't know judgment. That's what he's saying. How can you say we are wise and the law of the Lord is with us? Look at the false pen of the scribes. Certainly works falsehood. The wise men are ashamed. They are dismayed and taken. Behold, they have rejected the word of the Lord. So what wisdom do they have? What wisdom do they have? That's why Jesus, they asked, Lord, show us the Father. He said, wait a second. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. I am the embodiment of what the Word of God is. I am the embodiment. The beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He became flesh and dwelt among us. He says, if you see me, you know me. I am exactly. 
exactly like the father. The father, not looks, character, behavior, ways. He says, that's how you know God. That's how we know God. Knowing God and knowing scripture are not the same. When you're talking about growth, anybody can grow in knowledge of scripture. Actually, the young ones can do better than me. Because I can't memorize anymore. They can. Little Charan whom he prayed over knows Psalm 119. I don't know. I have to still open my Bible. I can't memorize. We are not talking about memorizing. We are talking about knowing God. And the living God has given us unlimited access. That's the funny part. Unlimited access to his presence. To know him. In Hebrews 10 verse 19 and 20. Brethren having boldness. Yesterday before we went into focus. We looked a little at boldness. Two things God told Joshua. You want to be successful in this taking this promised land. Two things. Be bold. Meditate upon my word day and night. That should be a focus and be bold. You need, why do you need boldness? This is not the boldness which our soldiers have. This is not the boldness which the world offers. You need boldness if you study the word because when you study the word and it becomes living, you know to keep this in this world, I need courage. Otherwise, I will buckle under pressure. If I have to stand all alone in Babylon, Lord, I need boldness because this is your scripture. Everybody is eating off the table, but I have purpose in my heart. I will not defile myself. You need boldness. When the gospel went out in Jerusalem, they were beaten, they were arrested, the apostles came, the church gathered, they prayed, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and with boldness. They stepped out and continued preaching. That's why you need boldness. Because once you know the truth, and you know this world is built on lies and alternative ideas which are called wisdom which is false, you know without boldness I cannot stand. That's why in the list of the people who are in hell, the first list in Revelation 21 verse 8 is the fearful. Because they did not have boldness to stand for the truth. It's not the others who have put the murderer, the adulterer, the liar. The first list in 21.8 is the fearful. And he tells Joshua, Joshua, you need boldness. Be courageous, boldness, because you start seeing this. You're going into a land. Everybody will oppose the truth. Everybody will oppose the word. You don't have boldness. You will buckle under pressure. You will run. You will compromise. And the greatest enemy of the church is compromise. Church is where it is worldwide. Church is because they compromised. That's where you need boldness. God has made us access, enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and a living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is. He says, you come with boldness. Don't be afraid. Come to the presence of God. You're so bold to go to the bar. You're so bold to go to your office in the Halloween costume. Where's your boldness to come to me? You buckled under pressure. Everybody wear black. You also wore black because you didn't have to have it. You should not even wear blue or yellow. You should wear white that day. Saying that I will stand up in the middle like a sore uh, thumb. I'm wearing white. Why? Then they will come and ask you, why white? Why white? Why white? You will say, because you wash me by the blood and I'm whiter than snow. I have nothing to do with Halloween. You're not afraid. We are afraid to stand against the world. We don't have the courage to stand for God. That's where the center, you have to read the book of Daniel, 12 chapters, every time the king calls him or he's asked a question, he will say, my king, my God, my God, 
my God, my God, my God, sent of us God. When Potiphar's wife is tempting Joseph, he will say, my master has kept everything, my God, my God, my God. Basically, he's saying you may come to a system and a culture where your husband also may be okay with this, but still it is not okay with me because it is not okay with my God. My God. Is that the center? Is that our focus? In Hebrews 4.16, Scripture says, Come boldly, therefore, come boldly to the throne room of grace. Come boldly. That's the truth. Come boldly. Come boldly, confidently, to the throne room of grace. In Philippians 4, 6, scripture says, Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let us make your request made known to God. Oh, I wish you knew legal. I, when I grew up, before I knew God, I knew Perry Mason. That was stacked up in my house. My father loved Perry Mason, early Stanley Gardner. It's all law books, not law, law novels. So it is all your honor, my honor, I'm making this prayer request. I'm making this, your worship honor, can I make this prayer? Can I make this request? Can I make this? You see, these are all legal terms used in the court. All legal terms used in the court. I pray you defer. I pray you allow me to speak. I have a petition. I have a... It's all legal terms. Absolutely legal terms. Going to court, God's God. God is sitting in the throne of grace. That is his courtroom where justice comes into the whole world. And you go with your supplications, with your petitions, with your requests to the judge of all flesh who reigns over everything. Judicial words. In Ephesians 3 and verse 12, scripture says, In him we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. We have boldness. We have access. To go into the very, very, like I told you, the only time I ever went to a court was for somebody else. And when I went over, it was a boy who was a college student who was caught for something, was being uh, uh, charged. And first time in Nampali in the criminal court, I was standing and I said, it was a small thing. But you have to see the judge in his chair. It was a lady, not even a man. It's a lady sitting over there in her robes. And this boy was standing like this, asking for mercy. Mercy. Because if she doesn't show mercy, his career is over. Life is gone. God says, you can come boldly. You can come confident. You're my children. You're my children. They say the most powerful room in the current world is the Oval Office. The Oval Office is where the President of the U.S. sits. And there's a picture from past, this very familiar picture is of President Kennedy sitting at the Oval Office. But if you look down, you will see under his table his little daughter, Carolyn crawling. And there are all dignitaries and all in the room, VIPs, everybody standing. And the little child with boldness is crawling around her father's table because she knows who he is. Come boldly. Confidently. He's judge. He's king. He's also your father. Is also your redeemer. Come boldly. We have to understand these truths because we do not know the access we have to what we have access. In James chapter 5 and verse 16, scripture says, the effective, the second part, effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Effective, fervent prayer. Why does it avail much? 
Because one, he's bold. Where does his boldness and steadfastness come from? What is his confidence based on? What is his assurance based on? His assurance is based on the word of God. He knows God. He knows the ways of God. Therefore, he walks in boldness and says, Your honor, according to section this and this and this, I have a petition. I have a petition. Mount Carmel, he's standing all alone. Hundreds of false prophets, the king, the people, all on the other side, standing all alone. Where does your boldness come from, Elijah? Where does your confidence come from, Elijah? Where did you get this from? And you will see his word at the end, what he says. It came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. He knows, courts have timings. Courts have timings. Evening sacrifice. Appointed time. Elijah prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, let it be known this day you are God in Israel. I am your servant that I have done all these things at your word. I haven't done here anything on my own. People have seen my actions, but they do not know the direction came from heaven. I'm obeying your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me that these people may know that you are the Lord God and you have turned their hearts back to you. And Lord, I am not making an argument according to your word. Check my heart. I am not looking for glory. I am not looking for fame. My only intention is these people turn back to you. That's all. I'm not going to start from tomorrow after fire comes Elijah ministries. No. My whole intention is to turn the people back to you. In my center, Lord, I have you and I have the well-being of these people. Check my heart. Your word, my heart tallies. God says, answered, prayer granted. Scripture says, fire came down. And all the people fell on their face and said, Yahweh is God. That's all. Yahweh is God. According to the knowledge, the heart and the will of God. Is that how we go before God? Do you remember Abraham interceding before God? Lord, he didn't say if there are 50 people in Sodom. Sodom has plenty of people. Lord, if there are 50, righteous. Why? Because you are righteous. You are righteous. I know you are righteous. The scepter of your kingdom is the scepter of righteousness. I know you are righteous. Your kingdom is based on righteousness. I am appealing to your righteousness. Lord, if there are 50 righteous people in Sodom, will you destroy God said, no, of course not. Lord, uh, I'm not just appealing to your righteousness now. Let me also appeal to your mercy. If it is 45, no problem. 40, no problem. 30, cool. 20, done. 10, there's a limit to God's mercy. His mercy, part of his love, is bound by truth. Ten is a number of his order. A ten, scripture says. He said, let not the Lord be angry. I will speak once more, please. Suppose ten should be found there. He said, I will not destroy it for the sake of ten. God said, no, I will not. I will not. And then, the Lord went his way. God didn't even finish that conversation. He said, bye, I'm leaving. So you know my limit. Know my limits. Know the limits of truth. Don't stretch God beyond his limit. He will not be stretched. You know it? He walked away. He walked away. And Abraham returned to his place. But when it comes to 
us when it comes to Israel. He stretches his limit. This is to Sodom, the world. When it comes to us, because he's not looking at us just as a judge, he's also looking at us as, as a father. And Jeremiah 5 and verse 1 says, Run to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem. See now and, and know. Seek in an open place if you can find one man. One, 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 one. One. If there's anyone who executes judgment, who seeks the truth, I will pardon Jerusalem. Why? God, are you not fair? I am fair. I deal with people and my children differently. It's not the same. My children, I just look for one. What a God. What a God. Go to Hebrews 4.16 again. Today's scriptural Sunday school lesson. If you have your Bible, I hope you have your Bible. Because if you don't have a Bible, I have a stick in my hand. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of our grace that we may obtain circle mercy there. Because we forget that and we run for grace. Circle mercy. We may obtain mercy. Jose 6.6 For I desire mercy. I desire mercy. Why I'm focusing now to the rest of the message on one word because you have to understand the character of God is vivid and you have to look at aspects of his character to have a balanced view of who he is. God says, what do I desire? Not sacrifice. What do I desire? Mercy. And the knowledge of God more than burnt offering. He says, I want you to know me. All your offerings and your sacrifices and all is worth nothing. If you do not know what I desire. What do I desire? I desire mercy. And I desire that you know me, the knowledge of God. So how do you come boldly? How do you come boldly? You go boldly based on aspect of God's character. Abraham knew God was righteous. God was merciful. Righteous and merciful. But how do you and I go before God? Deepika, for you, okay? You don't have to be a lawyer in the court. You can be a good lawyer's assistant. They actually do the hard work. The other guy just goes and opens his mouth. The hard work is done by them. Okay? Be a good researcher. Whenever you are going to court and the lawyer is presenting his arguments to make his arguments very strong and valid, what he does is he has what is called law clerks. Okay, law clerks. Justice Kavanaugh has hired a whole lot of women as his women lawyers as his law clerks when he got into the Supreme Court. Okay, law clerks. What they do is they look for precedents. If you use this precedence, I'm giving you legal terms, okay? You have what is called settled law. Your honor, according to the state of California versus this, 1965, according to the state of Arizona versus this, according to the state of Telangana versus this, these are precedents. You are appealing to what is called settled law. You look at all the smart guys in the Bible. When they went before God, they said, Lord, according to this, According to this, according to this, they were appealing to God's settled character. Therefore, God heard them. That's the advantage of knowing your law book. 
It is called the law. You know your law, you can argue your case based on settled law. God says, I have bound myself with my word. Fill your life with precedence. That's how you acquire boldness and mercy. Receive mercy. Remember from the belly of the fish, he's gone as down as a man. Now only place left for him is hell. He went down from, what was the place he was in? Tarsus, right? No. He went to Joppa, he went into the ship, he went to the bottom of the ship, from the bottom of the ship into the ocean, the belly of the fish to the bottom of the ocean. Now only place left for him is hell. From the belly of the fish, he appeals. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord and my prayer went up to you, into your... Where is it going? Machli ke pet se. From the bottom of the ocean. It is going to your holy temple. He appealed to God's mercy. God was merciful. So it's good. He's first he made a condition. Lord, I will do what you told me to do. God says, done deal. Get out. What are you sitting there for? Get out. Later, he's mad. In chapter 4, listen to him. He knows God. This man knows God very well. It displeased Jonah exceedingly and he became very angry. Why? Because God didn't judge Nineveh. Nineveh repented. God didn't judge Nineveh. He's so mad. There are so many mad preachers around. They go preach. People get saved and they're so mad. Because they didn't want them saved. They wanted them to go to hell. So I'm preaching judgment to you. That fellow got saved and he got saved. Now the preacher is so mad. That is Jonah the preacher. Man, he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, wasn't that when I said I in my country? I told you then. Therefore, I fled privately. Now he's excusing his disobedience. You know why I didn't go? Because I know you. That's why I didn't go. For I know that you are a gracious man. Ah, you see, I know you. Do you know him? Do we know him? Jonah knew his God. I know you are a gracious and merciful. God. If you had told me to go to Jerusalem and preach, I would have preached the same message. If you told me to go to Jericho and preach, I would have. But you told me to go to Nineveh. And I don't like Ninevites. I don't like them. You see, we pick and choose our audience. God doesn't pick and choose his audience. He picks the worst first and go preach to them. Go preach to them. The worst. We think they are beyond mercy. God says, nobody is beyond my mercy. Who will go after, walk the whole day, leave the crowds and leave the adulation, walk the whole day for a woman who's had five husbands and living with the sixth one? Only Christ. Because his mercy endures forever. I knew you. You're a merciful God, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Wow, Did we, do we know him? So do we go, now we have Jonah, chapter 4, and right over there, you got a scripture in your heart. When you are broken, when you have fallen, like the offertory song you sang today, can you go and appeal to God based on Jonah 4? Lord, this is who you are. Gracious, merciful, slow to anger. My father shouted at me. My mother is mad. He won't talk to me. My pastor doesn't even look at me. But Lord, you are not like any one of them. Gracious. Merciful 
abounding. I gave you today a precedent to quote. A precedent to quote. That's how you study scripture. Understand the nature of God. You see, the problem with Jonah was, he was quick to obtain mercy. Very reluctant to give. That means you understand the heart of God, but your heart didn't change like the heart of God. That's what God is saying. Grow to the full stature of Christ. That's why I believe Jonah is the only book that ends with a rhetorical question. The book of Jonah ends with a question. Should I not be concerned about this city? There are 120,000 people over here. You are worried about a plant. I'm worried about the people. Should I not be concerned about the city? You're worried about your marks. I'm worried about the soul of your teacher. Should not I be concerned about the teacher? You're worried about your promotion. I'm worried about your colleagues. You see, rhetorical questions are interesting, right? Moses is there. 40 days, 40 nights, fasted, stood before God. It took him 40 days and 40 nights of an absolute total separation from the world. Every pressure and pleasure of the world stand there in the presence of God before he could receive the law. Inscribed with the hand of God. He got the law. You know what took that man to get the law? We sit and quote the law. You know what cost him to get the law? Which we randomly pin in our child's bedroom and not our bedroom. Let the child learn the Ten Commandments. I am of course grown beyond that. Doesn't apply to me anymore. 40 days, 40 nights. He comes down, it's mayhem downstairs. They have gone crazy. It was Moses' mosaic time version of FM ritual. Golden calf, all drunk, all naked, all going crazy. God is mad. Absolutely mad. Look at, let's look at God. Lord said to Moses, I have seen these people and indeed it's a stiff-necked people. Now therefore, let me alone. My wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them and I will make you a great nation. I mean, (laughs) I don't know. The judgment on our hearts. Now if we got a promise like that, if God tells Pastor Vijay, James is gone for three, you stand there for me. He's not going to come back. I'm so angry with him and I will give this choice to you. What will he say? Lord, I was waiting for this day. <laughs> or he will stand there and say, Lord, no Lord, that's my father. See, God already knows what he's going to do. God, we don't realize some of the words God says is a test for us. Now therefore leave me alone. My wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them and I'll make you a great nation. Listen to Moses. Moses pleaded with the Lord his God. Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people? Now, he is going to precedent. You whom you brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand. In other words, did you raise him up so far to throw him onto the streets? 
I saw your love and care over Israel. I know you really love your son. Israel is your firstborn. Now, you're going to destroy him? Why should the Egyptians speak and say he brought them out to harm them, to kill them in the mountains, to consume them from the face of the earth? You know what the people, unbelievers are going to do? I'm zealous for your name. I know you're sitting in heaven. You don't have to come and walk with me down here. But I have to walk in your name. And everybody will say, oh, Moses, your God is funny. He brings his people and kills them. How do I defend your name? I'm telling everybody you are gracious, merciful, abounding, and you are killing all your people off. How do I defend your name? That's not who you are. Why should the Egyptians speak? Turn from your fierce wrath and relent from this harm to your people. Then, remember Abraham, Isaac, Israel. Okay. If these arguments did not sway you, I'm going to hold you to the covenant. You made a covenant with Abraham. You made a covenant with Isaac. You made a covenant with Abe Jacob. You are a covenant-keeping God and not a covenant-breaking God. And you swore to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven. And all this land I have spoken to you, I have given to your descendants and they shall live forever. I'm telling you, you made a covenant and these are the descendants of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Will you go against your word? God said, I will not. I will not. I will not. Verse 14. The Lord relented from the harm. Yeah. How? Which he said he would do to the people. It was an incredible argument in the courtroom. Boldness, precedent, quoting law, reminding God, you have bound yourself by your word. These are a covenant people. God says, okay. I relent. That's what God means. I look for one man. In Ezekiel 22, 30, another familiar words, I looked for one man. I sought for one man who will stand in the gap before me. Who is that man or that woman? Is that a man or woman who knows God, who knows the ways of God, the precepts of God, the laws of God, the covenants of God, and appeals to God based on his mercy and his righteousness and binds him to his word and say, Lord, have mercy on your people because this is who you are. That is intercession. It's not random prayer based on your feelings. It's a prayer that is bound by the word of God because you know who God is and you know what his word is. God says, I look for such a man. I look for such a man. And David was one of those men. One of these men. In First Chronicles 21 verses 1 and 2, Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. Satan tempted. He numbered. David said to Job, go number Israel from Beersheba to Dan and bring the number that, that I may know. God was mad. God was mad. Verse 8 and 10. Yeah. God was mad. God said, I'm going to judge you. So be very careful about numbering. God is a God of numbers, and there's a book of numbers, but God doesn't like people seeing their strength in their numbers. How many people do we have in your church? Oh, must be a good collection. Number collection. That's how people look. Pastors look at church like that. In terms of numbers. But just don't look at your numbers. Because the entire world is looks at number. Democracy is based on numbers. 
Kingdom is not based on number. God alone is still God. And he's mighty and he's right. He's true. And the whole world can be against him. He's still true. He's still right. He's still on the throne. Democracy works on numbers. We think democracy is one of the finest forms of government. No, it is not. Benevolent monarchy is the best form of government. And that's what we are going to enter into. And if we are not already there, God is the king and is gracious. That's the government. That's the best. Democracy is a recipe of madness. Verse 11 and 12. He says, I, I have sinned. Yeah, let's go to the ones previous. They will say, I have sinned greatly because I have done this thing, but now I pray, take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done foolishly. See, that's, that's the goodness of David. He goofs up, he'll go before God and say, you know, my name is Goofy. Why? Because I goofed up. Now when you go before God, don't go by your name, go by Goofy. Because that's what we are, we goof up every day. And when he says we are Goofy, God says, I love you, I'll change your name. Listen to what he says. God spoke to God, David's seer saying, thus says the Lord, go tell David saying, thus says the Lord, I'll offer you three things. I'll offer you three things. Choose one of them for yourself that I might do it to you. He's going, he's not going to do it to Israel. He's not going to do it to David. He's going to do it to Israel. But he never separates David from Israel. That's interesting. He doesn't say like that to other kings. Because he knows to other kings, if he harms the people, they are least bothered. But he knows this man will break his heart over the people. God's punishments are not like what we think. His punishments are according to our heart. Hezekiah was told in your son children's time, the Babylonians will come, take all your the temple gifts, and some of them will be taken. He says, it's fine, it's okay. As long as it is not in my time, it is okay. What difference does that judgment make to that man? But look at this man. I'm, I may do it to you. What? God said, thus says the Lord, choose for yourself. Verse 12. Either three years of famine, or three months to be defeated by your force with the sword of your enemies overtaking you, or else for three days the sword of the Lord, the plague in the land, with the angel of the Lord destroying throughout the whole territory of Israel. Now consider what answer should I take back to him who sent me. He says, you have three choices. A, B, C. All a punishment. Three years famine. Three months you will run before your enemies, they will chase you, they will kill your soldiers. Or three days where I will personally destroy Israel. Choose his answer. David said to God, I'm in great distress. Please let me fall in the hand of the Lord for his mercies are great. I know him. I know him. Let me fall into his hands. Because I know when his judgment comes, I know his heart. He's gracious. He's a Bounding in mercy. I know how far he will go. I know how far he will go. Verse 17. And David said to God, Was it not I who commanded the people to be numbered? I am the one who has sinned and done evil indeed. But these sheep, what have they done? Do you see his heart? What have they done? Your, let your hand, I pray, O oh Lord my God, be against me and my father. So why, why are you, why are you blaming my people? They were obeying orders. I am responsible. Lord, don't punish them. Punish me. See an intercessor? 
genuine man who appeals to the heart of God, who understands the heart and mind of God, not only binding God to his mercy, his ways, but also saying, Lord, my heart, your heart, it tallies. I love the people. Your people, that they should be plagued. And you know what happens? God stays his hands. 70,000 die, but God stays his hands. He says, enough. God says, enough. God says, enough. And David says, thank you, Lord. And that's where Aruna's threshold, where the sacrifice is offered. And that is where they say the temple was built. Justice is upheld, but mercy prevails. Now you understand James 2.13? For judgment without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Will God go against his own nature? He says, if I judge you without mercy? No, he says, I will not do that. I will not do that. So you be and don't do that. That's why we need to know scripture. Because through scripture, we are not learning scripture, we are understanding the heart of God. In Psalm 44, verse 1 and 2. We have heard with our ears, O God, our fathers have told us, the deeds you did in their days, in the days of old. You drove out the nations with your hand, but them you planted, you afflicted the peoples and cast them out. What are they talking about? We know about you. Let me ask you this question. We know the Bible because you have heard the Bible, because we have read the Bible. Do you know church history? Why? Has God changed? Has God changed? No. God hasn't changed. It's good to learn church history to see that. We have heard with our ears of God. Our fathers have told us the deeds you did in the days of the old. What you did in India through St. Thomas and subsequent years. What you did in China. What you did through Sadhu Sundar Singh. All the people in between. God, I've heard. That's my history. And your history. Because it's a family history. We all have family albums. That's not a real family. The real family is that. They heard with our ears. What you did with our fathers. You remember David, the middle-aged man now, in Second Samuel chapter 12. Nathan departed to his house. The Lord struck the child Uriah's wife bore to David and he became ill. And David therefore pleaded with God for the child. And David fasted, went in and lay all night on the ground. And the elders of the house arose, went to him to raise him from the ground. But he would not, nor did he eat food, food with them. God has already passed judgment. His son will, your child will die. And he's before God for seven days. Not eating, not bathing, nothing. Lying before God, crying out. Did God answer? No. But he said, what is the harm in trying? After all, he's a gracious God. He changes his mind, my son will live. Look at this resilience of this man. Seven days. Eighth day the child dies. He rises up. He's not angry. He's not mad. Nothing at all. 
in verse 22 and 23. He told his servant, when the child was alive, I fasted and wept for I said, who can tell? Who can tell? Whether God will be gracious to me that the child may live. Who can tell? Who can tell? I mean, who can tell? I'm going to appeal to his mercy and his grace. But now he's dead. Why should I fast? Now that he's dead, if I fast, that means I'm judging God. I will not do that. Accepted his verdict. It's right in my eyes. All your ways are perfect. They are just. And it is right. Therefore, I can't bring him back. But I will go to him. You have to learn, if your mercy petition is rejected, you have to learn to take it in your stride. Okay, understand God. Don't then fast and cry. I prayed seven days, I fasted. They came to lift me up. I wouldn't even get up from the ground. What kind of a God you are? You know, Lord of people react to God when their prayers are not answered that way. Oh, I prayed, fasted, and you never gave me a husband. God said, because I know you so well, that's why I don't give you one, because I wanted to keep him safe. (laughs) Why, Lord? What did I do? I saw you treating your dog. (laughs) You starved him, you kicked him, you threw him out. And I said, oh, Lord, if she does this with the dog, what will she do to her husband? Just joke, just to wake you up, okay? Let's get back to the word. Because <laughs> you know, humor wakes people up. In my Nepali church, they never used to long word, long messages, no? So whenever they fall asleep, I crack one ne- joke in Nepali. They all wake up. And after the service, they come and thank me for the joke. <laughs> These are all case studies. You have Jehoshaphat facing a massive, massive army. In 2 Chronicles 20 verse 3. Jehoshaphat feared, set himself to seek the Lord, proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And then he goes before God. Let's read from verse 6. O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? Do you not rule over the kingdoms of the nations? In your right hand there is not power and might, so there is no one is able to withstand. It's very clear, Lord. I look at this army, they are huge. I look at my problem, it's really big. But I'm not going to magnify my problem. I'm going to magnify you. This is the lessons we learn. We are not looking at Jehoshaphat, we are learning what can I learn from Jehoshaphat. He's facing a problem like us. He's facing a different problem in the sense it's an army. You may be facing a massive giant in your life which is financial crisis or family break or whatever it is. You're not going to magnify your problem, you're going to magnify your God. That's what he first does. Are you not? First he magnifies God as God. Then he comes and makes it personal and says, Are you not our God? This God who is magnified is my God. And in the past, you drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever. See, everybody goes to Abraham. Everybody goes to Abraham. You know, Lord, I'm appealing for help based on your friendship with my father. 
If an earthly king will do it for somebody, will not the heavenly king do? Is there anybody in the household of Saul to whom I can show mercy for the sake of Jonathan? If David will do that for Jonathan, will not God do it for Abraham's son? You know, these are smart guys. Extremely smart guys who knew God and appealed to him. Abraham. They dwell in it, have built you a sanctuary in it for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon sword, judgment, pestilence, famine, we will stand before this temple in your presence, for your name is in this temple, and cry out to you in your affliction, and you will hear and say, he says, I'm going to come here, I'm going to the temple, and I'm standing there at the temple, built by my father, spiritual Solomon, and I remember what you said, when there is trouble, when there is trouble, when there is trouble, you come to this temple, you cry out to me, I will hear you, because I have put my name on the temple. I have come. Do people come to you for prayer? Because he's put your name on you. Fervent, effective prayer of a righteous person availeth much because he knows his name. Who put his name? This is who you are. And this is who we are. Abraham, your friend. We are not going to stretch before you any of our good deeds. All we are going to appeal to mercy based on a friendship. That's all. We do that. Hey! You look at this. Hey, are you this one, son? You look so much like him. Are you? Yes. Come. You don't even know this dude, but you know his father. That's what I said in Second Samuel 9 verse 1. David does. David said, is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? You see, nobody goes and quotes Adam. When you quote names, you have to quote right names. Adam, oh yeah, you're the dude who got kicked out of that garden, right? Okay. Abraham, my friend. Appeal according to affections. Are we getting it? Why it's so interesting to know the word and to know the God of the word that we appeal to him. You read, go home today, homework. Read Nehemiah chapter 9. You're taking notes very bravely knowing I'll be back only after three weeks. But who knows, I may remember after three weeks. (laughs) Nehemiah 9. And see how Nehemiah makes his intercession. All based on who God is and his mercies. All. Based. One of the most painful books in the Bible is called Lamentations. That's why it's called Lamentations. One of the most wonderful verses you need to know, I need to know, is found in that same book. In Lamentations 3 verses 22 and 23. Though the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Now why we are not confused? Consumed? of his mercies. Okay. 
boldness comes from appealing to mercy. It's appealing to that mercy part is what is connected with repentance. You repent. That's the power of repentance. That's why come boldly to the throne room of grace and receive mercy. Lord, this is who I am. Have mercy. Old Testament people, all they could only ask mercy in Abraham's name or Isaac's name or Jacob's name. We don't ask in Abraham's name or Isaac's name. We say, Lord, I come to you. I goofed up. My name is Goofy. But in the name of my brother Jesus, I request it. God says, done. You got a name greater than any name the Old Testament covenant prophets had. We have a name given to us. The name of Jesus. We don't go in the name of Abraham. We don't appeal to God in the name of Abraham. We appeal to our eldest brother's name. He's your own and my own eldest brother, greater than the eldest brother you may have physically have on earth. He's your real brother, the firstborn of God. His name. Because today we have something the old covenant saints would have like craved to have. A name above all names. Who is your brother? And a spirit who is your counselor. Personal counselor, he guides you through the word, calls upon that name and says, seek mercy from your father. You will get it. And Hebrews 7 verse 25 is so absolutely clear. Our eldest brother, your eldest brother, my eldest brother. Therefore, he is able to save to the uttermost who comes to God through him. Since he always lives to make intercession for them. He's sitting there, there, right on the right hand side of the Father. And the Holy Spirit guides us through the scriptures and say, make your appeal. Make your appeal. He is there interceding. I am your advocate on earth. He is your advocate in heaven. And God is sitting on his throne. Come with boldness. Ask for mercy. Hebrews 3 and verse 11. As we go soon to communion. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and the high priest of our He's listening to what we are saying. He's listening to all our long winded prayers and says, lies to hear. No legal precedent. You don't know my word. You don't know me. You don't know me. The Holy Spirit says, Father, that dude doesn't give me a chance to speak to him. Every time he enters in the prayer closet, he speaks. He never listens. That's why God said, when you pray, please don't babble like those pagans. Your father already knows what you need. Don't babble. He knows. Counselor on earth, we have a counselor in heaven and a father who sits on the throne and he says, come boldly, confidently to the throne room of grace and receive. First what? When the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict. Ah, as you go into the prayer closet with the Holy Spirit, as you get on your knees, Lord, God says, wait a second, first confess this. Confess this. Some Nehemiah Israel leaders will stand, Lord, this is what we are. This is what we did. This is what our fathers did. This is what our forefathers did. This is it. It's what we did. Mercy. 
and he is the advocate the apostle the high priest of our confession are you getting it let me add a couple of more legal terms i'll add a caveat here dipika i'm teaching you law before you go to law academy okay one of the most wicked kings israel ever had was a guy called manasseh god said he filled the streets of jerusalem with blood and blood of innocent children in second chronicles 33 verse 9 manasseh seduced judah and the inhabitants of east jerusalem to do more evil than the nations whom the lord had destroyed before the children of israel more wicked than even the pagans and then what happened he wouldn't listen to any of the prophets and god moved god spoke to manasseh and his people but they would not listen Therefore the Lord brought upon the captains of the army of the king of Assyria who took Manasseh with hooks bound him with bronze fetters and carried him off to Babylon. God says if you will not be led by me I know how to lead you. Bronze fetters hook in the nose and led him to Babylon. Real literal king like we take the ox today. God said that's what will happen to you. Are you led by the enemy dragged by the enemy wherever he wants to take you? Are you an addict of your passions? See, the problem with addicts is they have no control. They are, they do what the addiction wants them to do. Are you an addict? Of anything. I'm not talking about substance addiction. I'm talking about addicted to something. You have no control over what you watch. You have no control over what you eat. You have no control over what you drink. You have no control over your temper. Are you an addict? Are you being dragged by fetters? Hooked through your nose? and then now when he was in affliction he implored the lord his god and humbled himself greatly before the god of his fathers and prayed to him and he received his entreaty heard his supplication brought him back to jerusalem into his kingdom then manasseh knew the lord was god he knew god's judgment he experienced god's mercy and he knew wow this is god he cried he repented god forgive God showed him mercy and Manasseh knew that the Lord was God caveat repent appealing for mercy without a change of mind is pointless when you are appealing for mercy you are actually saying i have changed my mind i'm not going i'm not going to go that way and i need help lord not to go that way but in my heart i know i am wrong i am not going that way otherwise this appeal for mercy will not work but it doesn't matter how to the depth you have gone like manasseh if you appeal for mercy with a change star god says i will restore you i'll forget what you have done and i will restore you be careful caveat 2 matthew 5 and verse 7 be merciful if you want to obtain mercy that's it that's that is not free blessed are so many things but when it comes to mercy blessed are the merciful they shall obtain mercy like i said in the old joke if the finally the woman gets a husband it is because she was kind to her dog god gave her a husband now continue showing mercy to the dog 
or the husband may leave you. Blessed are those who are merciful. They shall obtain mercy. Remember that guy who was forgiven and then caught the servant and threw him into prison? Be very careful about these things. Don't take lightly. You children, God will not realize. He will say, I am just a child. He will have somebody younger than you in this home you are staying. And the problem with hostels and boardings and schools is the spirit is the spirit of bullying. I know what it was to be bullied in school. In Bhutan, growing up, the only Indian kid among 500 Bhutanese kids. And then come from the mountains to Kerala to be the only kid who couldn't speak Malayalam with 500 Malu kids. I know what it is to be bullied. And they pick on you. And you pick on you, pick on people who are weaker and smaller than you. You will not obtain mercy in the hour you need mercy. So don't ever think these things don't apply to us. It applies to everybody of every age group. So as parents with small children, always teach the older ones to show mercy to the younger one. Let it be a facet of their character now that we know all these truths. Merciful, merciful, sorry. It's okay, it's okay, I forgive you. Teach them. Fundamental principles by which they, they grow. How many times should I forgive my brother seven? God says, no, 70 times seven. Go ahead, show mercy. Why Lord? You open a pipeline of mercy over here, you will receive a shower of mercy from heaven. God says you don't realize this will determine this in one area in your life. Blessed are the merciful, they shall obtain mercy. It has to be obtained. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall free obtain. You have to you have to get it, you have to buy it by giving mercy. Understand? Everybody has somebody in their lives. That's why 26 times in Psalm 136, after every refrain, we after every verse, we say, He's made mercy endures forever. forever. Mercy endures forever. Mercy endures forever. For the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect peace. The great high
Anybody missing the bread? Anybody missing the cup? Anybody is missing? Just show your hand, please. As we come to the end today's service, and keep your minds focused on God, knowing God, acquiring the knowledge of who God is. There is no greater knowledge you can acquire. You don't get this in universities. You don't get it in schools. You only get it through God. He reveals himself to us through his word, through his spirit. And today, we looked at one facet of his character. It's mercy. His mercy endures forever. But God says, it's not mercy at the cost of truth. We come in repentance. We acknowledge who we are and who he is. We acknowledge this is what I have done. And then we say this is who you are. In Proverbs 3 and verse 3 scripture says this perfect balance about God. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them together around. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Because that's what God is. It's in one person. The person of God in Christ. This has met Mercy and truth. I receive mercy when I change according to, I'm willing to change according to the truth. That's where scripture says when the Holy Spirit comes, he will lead you to truth. And when I look at the truth, I will realize his mercies are new every morning. Thank God because I need mercy. Because I still, we still haven't aligned ourselves to his truth. We are aligning on the way. And every day when we are open to truth, we will realize we need mercy. In personal life, how do you reconcile two things? I will tell you how in personal life you reconcile this. Truth is what you receive for yourself. You choose to be truthful. You choose to be true. But you show mercy to others who may not be truthful. God always is truthful. But he extends mercy to us every morning. Understand that. God is not showing mercy at the cost of truth by saying, okay, I will also be like you. He says, no, I will be always what I am. But I will extend mercy to you. Truth is what we become. Often mercy is what we show others and giving them room to grow. In Proverbs 16, 6, scripture says, In mercy and truth, atonement is provided. That's how atonement is provided, in mercy and truth. God looks at the truth. He looks at us all to be thrown into hell. That's truth. Then he looks at us, he's full of compassion, abounding in mercy. And he says, how do I reconcile these two? So the son says, dad, I'll go up on the cross. I'll go down, live truth out. 
be merciful to everybody will never sin go upon that cross die for sin and anyone who believes in my work you can show the mercy without bending truth by mercy and truth atonement is provided for iniquity do you see why the crosses are the center of our life that's why jesus asked us one thing to do he says when you gather do this in remembrance of me because in mercy and truth atonement is provided we looked today when we began about growing one of the ways in which you see whether you have grown in god or christ has grown in you is this it's not knowledge about god that you actually become more and more and more merciful as you grow that's why i told you in the beginning i've heard zack bonen at 19 i've heard him now what i see is he grows more and more and more kinder compassionate merciful never changing the truth is still as tough on truth as he was when i first heard him but you can see the tone has changed it's kinder more compassionate more merciful that's how you know you are growing because that's a facet of god's character he is incredibly merciful about jesus scripture says in old and new testament a smoking flax he will not put out a bruised reed he will not break that's how he is he knows people he knows the situations he is not going to bend truth yet he wants to extend mercy he will walk through the day in the hot sun reach before send all these disciples who will squabble about sitting on the right and left send them all away wait at the well for one woman to come so that he doesn't have to break her because she is a bruised reed and so gentle with her give me some water she shocked you or a rabbi asking him for water he said honey if you knew who was asking for water you would ask me for water she said give me he said go get your husband she said i have none he said awesome you told the truth you have no husband absolutely true you had five the sixth one you are not married she said you must be a prophet she said are you the messiah did you see how he deals with people that's what god's issue with with david he caught him in that you need to need to caught him he said you know what a rich man had so many sheep and there this poor man who had a lamb you know what this rich man did he took that poor man's lamb david said who is that dude he said you caught him on mercy all these wives all these women who had to pick up that poor dude and his wife where did he pick his wife caught him right there you see god uses illustrations according to the heart of people he dealt with he couldn't use these illustrations with others if you are tried with solomon solomon said so what i will take other lambs too is he when you know how god speaks to you it is also a revealer of who you are who you are He was so upset with David. He told him if it was you know what he actually told him? if it was woman you wanted I would have given you all the concubines of the previous king. I would have given you everybody. But what you did 
unacceptable. Understand this. Grow in mercy. Grow in truth. Balance it. Always. Balance it. That's how you know. That's how you know. In Ephesians 2, 4, I didn't give it to you, but I'm closing. But God is rich. He's rich in gold. No. He's rich in jewels. No. He's rich in... Are you rich? Are you a rich person? God is rich in... And because of his great love, he has loved us. When everything is over, and all these wicked rulers are all thrown, if they don't repent, the Antichrist's reign is over. Sin and death has been thrown into the lake of fire. Still the saints for eternity will be singing, your mercy endures forever. Mercy endures forever. You know? I'm closing, okay? Don't worry. I'm closing. When I close my pen, that means I've closed. Let me tell you one, because I just have to tell you this. See, when we all, yesterday I told the pastors, when we all go to Dubai, I mean, people go abroad, no? When they're for work, they carry one stroller and they go like this. Customs, immigration, very big. They're not taking anything. When they come back home, it's a huge box, 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 box. And there is this crowd waiting to receive them and everybody's trying to hold that trolley to pull it, push it for him because trolley is full of goodies. That's how the human is. Goes empty, comes back full. Except one boy in the, in the Bible, the prodigal son. When he left, money belt, full, going. <laughs> this old man doesn't know anything. I can teach him a few lessons. I don't know, a few months, years later, sitting in the pig pen, Smelling like a pig, ready to fight the pig for their food, comes to his senses. When he comes back, there is no trolley, behind or ahead, no money bag. His clothes must be torn, he must be stinking, beard, hair, hasn't had a wash. Only one thing had changed now. In his head, here, he understood. My father was right. I am wrong. I'm going to my father's house and I'm going to appeal on his mercy. Father, I'm not worthy to be your son. Can I be one of your servants? You're absolutely right in all your judgments. I'm all appealing you. Can I be one of your servants? Scripture says, the father ran, did not allow him to even start or finish his speech. He had no shoes on his feet. But shoes can be replaced. He had no clothes. Clothes can be replaced. He had lost his wealth. Wealth can be replaced. But there's something which you and I have to do. It's here. We have to change our thinking. Change our mind. And align it with God's kingdom. His righteousness and his justice. That God won't do for us. He will show us. He will empower us. But he says, you have to do That's when mercy and truth comes together. As soon as truth rose up in his life, he came to his senses, 
start moving towards God, what was running towards him, because truth is difficult to handle. Truth doesn't run. It is going slowly, hastily, but what is running towards him is mercy. Mercy ran and met him on the way. I'm telling you the men sitting over here, all the married men sitting over here. Scripture tells the men, love your wives as Christ. Love the church. He says, as a man, full of truth, full of mercy, grow. Extend mercy to the failings of your spouse, the weaknesses of your children, but don't bend truth. Don't lie like Adam, die with your wife. Like Christ, die for your household. It's a balance demanded from men. It's not demanded from women. It's a balance demanded from men. God never says, wives, die for your husband. Never. Men be very, very careful if you want to grow. You're not bending truth. Never. You cannot, if you bend truth, you don't save anybody. Atonement doesn't take place. But you have to be merciful. And the thing about merciful is, like Christ, you take the wounds upon yourself. Scripture never says the church was bruised for her iniquities or chastised. It says Christ was bruised. He was chastised. He was pierced. And it is spiritual. Men sitting over here, young men who are planning to get married, get ready to be pierced, to be chastised. Shall we stand? I love you guys, okay? I'm tough from the pulpit, gentle downstairs. I always tell truth here, grace down. Okay? And I'll see you next month. Father, this morning we just come to you, Lord. We just want to thank you. We just want to praise you. We just want to worship you. We want to thank you for your enduring mercy, Lord. By your mercy, you brought us to the 11th month. By your mercy, you brought us to the fourth day of the 11th month. Here we are, Lord, in your house, in your presence, knowing you are with us, knowing that you are going before us. All we ask and pray, help us to keep our eyes fixed on you, Lord, you. Let us not lose focus. When our eyes are on you and our heart is stayed on your word, then we will know things as they really are, O oh Lord. And I pray you will help us to be true. True. Because you are true. Help us to be true. You are rich in mercy. Help us to be rich in mercy, Lord. Rich in mercy. Everyone here, whether it's a child who's got a younger one under him or her, or an older person who's got a whole business under him, it doesn't matter, Lord. I pray, help us to be true and yet be rich in mercy, Lord. Pray the word that we have heard will remain in our hearts. We will meditate upon it, that we may know you better and better as each day passes by, Lord. Thank you, Father. I bless your people in your name. And I bless your servant, Pastor Vijay, in your name, Lord. I pray your hand will always rest upon him. As we go into another month, go before us, Lord. We need you. We need you. This is just not from our mouth or lips. We're from our heart. We say, acknowledge without you. 
we we simply cannot survive we cannot do anything we need you lord we need you we look at ourselves and we see how wretched we are we look at you and we see how glorious you are and we just say lord we need you we need you fill us lord fill us with yourself and teach us to empty ourselves each day thank you thank you father now believing the blood of the lamb has cleansed us the word through the spirit has sanctified us by faith we lift up holy hands in your sanctuary and we bless your holy name lord bless your holy name we bless your holy name we confess with our lips thine is the kingdom the power and the glory forever and ever lord and we also say father from our heart maranatha come lord jesus and i pray every one of us will be ready at that hour lord thank you father thank you give you all the glory father for in jesus name we pray amen may the grace of our lord jesus christ the love of the father and the fellowship of the holy spirit rest and abide with each one of us amen and amen